Hello lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And it's been it's been a week, y'all. <laughs> but um we are finally here. The final entry in our WrestleMania week coverage. Uh two weeks after the fact. I get that it's a little late coming out, but um we're not going to wrap up that that coverage of that event without talking about GCW for the culture because of the historic main event on the show, uh, a number of outstanding matches on the show. Um, and honestly, it was one of the, one of my favorite shows of the weekend. And so I'm not going to not take the chance to talk about it, uh, honestly. And so that's what we're doing today. We're finally closing out WrestleMania week talking about for the culture. I brought KC back onto the show to talk about uh, this event, uh, including um, a, a, a fairly uh, deep dive into Billy Dixon and Hoodfoot's uh, all-black death match main event, the first ever all-black death match in the history of pro wrestling. So, yeah, it was a really awesome show to watch, and I'm glad that we're getting the chance to kind of relive it here again. But before we talk about For the Culture, just want to touch on a few things coming out of WrestleMania week and also things that have happened post-WrestleMania week because there's been a, a lot going on, y'all. Um, obviously, uh, I think the, the top story in my mind is that we have an incredibly queer and violent tag team championship team in GCW now. Of course, uh, Bussy defeating the Briscoes and winning those belts, becoming the first ever uh, out LGBTQ champions in GCW's history, you know, dating back to its previous iteration as JCW. Uh, it's just really a, an amazing moment to see them kind of get that spot in a, in a match that honestly like lived up to, I think, what people think whenever you have the Briscoes and Effie and Alley catch in a setting where weapons are pretty much going to happen. <laughs> it's almost, a, it's pretty much a guarantee that, that they're going to be used in that sort of thing. And I felt like, you know, Effie and, and Allie met Jay and Mark right uh, in the middle of that ring and, and lived up to expectation. You know, uh, the, the match was a whole, a lot of fun and had a little bit of um, added significance considering a lot of the talk around the Briscoes right now. You know, obviously there's a lot of chatter about why, you know, they haven't signed with AEW or their uh, continued presence in Ring of Honor now that Tony Khan owns it. Um, you know, dating back to those incredibly graphic and violent homophobic comments made uh, a number of years ago and you know I don't think it's it's definitely not up to a, one single single individual to really say when someone has made amends for those type of comments you know I think that's on an individual basis for everyone to come to on their own time um, especially considering just how violent those comments were so, you know, I completely understand anybody who still feels some level of discomfort, you know, and as that pertains to like a corporate entity like Warner Media, like saying that 
you know, reportedly saying that they don't want to sign the Briscoes over that comment, you know, like that's that's corporate world. We're talking about individual personal world for on this show. You know, um, I can safely say that, you know, I still have there's still a, a tinge there for me for with the Briscoes. But at the same time, like. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. It seems like a lot of their actions as of late have been uh, making good on, on those amends making uh, sort of things. And I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those, it's, it's always going to fluctuate whenever you have in an industry like pro wrestling, where I feel like almost anybody that engages with it uh, to any significant extent for an extended period of time ends up having at least like one problematic fave, you know? Um, and that's just something that we have to really internalize and deal with on our, on our own. That being said, though, does not take away anything from the moment there with Ali and Effie. Just a lot, I could a lot of emotion between those two very, very, very close friends. They've been on this journey in GCW together for a while now, um, and I'm glad to see it pay off with them hoisting those GCW Tag Team Championship belts. Honestly, they don't belong on anybody else right now, and I hope they have a Fun, lengthy reign with plenty of bloody battles <laughs> in the future. Sticking with GCW uh, for one more thing before we get to my chat with KC. One thing I did notice coming out of WrestleMania week um, that I haven't really had a chance to talk about yet, um, just because of whether it be physical sickness or mental health stuff or you know other facets of work kind of keeping me from reporting this out. But there was one thing from WrestleMania week that really frustrated me, and that was present on the World of Lucha show. Um, for those that did not see that show, there were two instances where a homophobic chant uh, was used, uh, and uh, actually used by wrestlers, and 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 said uh, multiple times uh, in that instance. I believe once by uh, Psychosis and another by Psycho Clown. Um, of course. The, the chant in question is kind of part and parcel with Psycho Clown's character. Like he regularly leads the crowd in, in the chant, directing the, the, the phrase and the slur at his opponent, you know, in a like sort of babyface way. Um, I've reported multiple times on the use of this, especially when it comes to Psycho Clown's use of it um, for Outsports and, you know, we've at Outsports, we've also reported a lot on the entire issue of how this chant has affected the Mexican national soccer team as well. Like to, the, to the extent where FIFA passed like bylaws basically preventing the use of the chant and in, empowered referees to like end matches if the chant doesn't doesn't dissipate. Um, they've, they've had instances where fans were not allowed to enter games because uh, they used the chance so much that they just basically suspended fans from coming for games um, at times. So it's not like this is a, not a known issue, and it's really frustrating to see that both Psychosis and Psycho Clown use that chant and have it go unaddressed on the broadcast, um, especially considering that there has been previous reporting around his use of, of the, especially Psycho Clown's use of the phrase, you know, whether it be at... Uh, a triple A show that, that Cody was on a couple years back or a triple A's show that they ran in the Hulu theater at the Madison square garden. Um, uh, 
little bit of time after that as well. You know, like it's it's not something that is an unknown. It's not something that should not go unaddressed, and that was frustrating to see. So hopefully, um, GCW and whoever was uh, at the helm of World on, uh, on Lucha uh, really understand what that phrase means and and how that impacts uh, the people watching. Because I got messages from people watching that show that were like, you know, World on Lucha was great, but these moments made me feel really, really uncomfortable. And no one should be made to feel that way when watching or going to a pro wrestling show. Case That's just bottom line stuff. It shouldn't happen anymore at all. Um, okay. Well, that being said, let's talk about GCW for the culture. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the ring. And uh, as promised, a little late, but better late than never. We still have one more show from WrestleMania week now, two weeks ago, <laughs> um, to talk about. But it honestly, we need to talk about it because it delivered a number of great matches. Uh, as well as probably one of the more memorable ones coming out of the weekend um, that had some history to it. Of course, we're talking about GCW for the culture today, and uh, I am very happy to have here to talk about the show with me, uh, my lovely fiance KC. Yo. Yeah. It's always fun to have you on the show. <laughs> it, it, I know that it's like, you know, it's like, I know that it could be like, nerve-wracking and all this other stuff and like microphones shoved in faces and that sort of thing but i don't know i get a lot of joy about talking out of talking about wrestling with you it just it's just a different perspective so i can say that every time you're on the show just about but i don't know maybe i'm just happy about it i like talking about wrestling and you know you have very unique perspectives that always keep me on my toes it's not just like it's literally not okay Let's put it this way. I like having the conversation with the person who is like, did you see that FTR Briscoe's match? That was a dope match, right? And I'm like, yeah, it was a dope match. Those conversations can be good. But like, also, I want to talk about something other than FTR and the Briscoes. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Um, and of course, that's what we're doing today because those motherfuckers are out of sight for this show. <laughs> <laughs> no shade. Um, but... Yeah, we are talking about uh, GCW for the culture, uh, the latest edition of GCW's uh, show that celebrates uh, black and Afro-Latina identities in pro wrestling. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a number of these events uh, so far in the past, a lot of outstanding matches coming out of them. Uh, this one down in Dallas uh, as part of the collective promised the same honestly you know we had marquee matches such as aj gray who of course is the the man behind for the culture going up against darius lockhart trisha dora there defending the uh the pan-african world diaspora wrestling championship or rather i guess i should correct myself now uh, from going forward the pan-african world diaspora world championship since it is now recognized as a world championship against mj jenkins uh and then of course, the main event of the show, Billy Dixon and Hoodfoot in the first ever all-black deathmatch. Um, I guess we'll, let's start before we get into some of the matches that uh, need to be talked about, obviously. Um, I want to get your 
overall feeling like from this show and like going into it thoughts about anything anything that specifically stood out to you as well well i was definitely interested in uh the hoodfoot and billy dixon match partly because i'm not actually super into death matches well i mean that's just been kind of a newer thing in some of the live shows that you've taken me to and so i guess i'm getting more used to it and it's not that i don't like it but I was surprised because that match is very memorable for me, even though I think death matches usually wouldn't necessarily be my style. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, just as you were saying in your intro, wanting to have me on the show, I was just kind of reflecting on it's been years since you started taking me to wrestling shows. And I don't know, my perspectives changed a lot and, um, I definitely really like going to shows with you and I don't know, just uh, kind of thinking about that development was, I guess it was just good to reflect on mm. real briefly. Real quick, like I don't mean to interrupt or anything, but how has that perspective changed? Um, I don't think that it, like, like when I think of pro wrestling, I don't just think of like, WWE what it was uh, uh, when I was growing up Mm. like that was basically what pro wrestling was in my mind for a very very long time yeah of course not having really grown up watching a lot of wrestling um so just you know most of what we watch together are more independent shows so it's just nice that that has replaced what I usually would have thought of as pro wrestling before we met. Yeah, I can understand it. I mean, I, I feel like it really in like the larger world of like larger like cultural world that outside of the pro wrestling bubble that I live in, um, like WWE is kind of the synonymous thing with pro wrestling. You know, even you know even dating back to like that period or like you and I were growing up, like obviously there were other major companies back then, all that, all that good stuff, whatever. But in the, the eyes of the people who are not tuned into this world, WWE is pro wrestling and there's nothing else. So to be able to learn that there are other, (laughs) that one, that there are other companies out there, and two, that there are places that are really like reimagining what pro wrestling can be mm-hmm. and the people that it serves and the people that it features. Like that is always an eye opening thing. And, and I'm glad to hear that 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 has opened up more and more. Not that I thought it didn't. I mean, obviously, we we don't only talk about pro wrestling whenever we have mics in front of our face. But <laughs> I but it's just always nice to 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 see that that more people as if they want to learn about it can understand just like what kind of developments are going on within the world of pro wrestling um and obviously a number of those things were on display at this show um and oddly enough a little bit of that like clash was was present on this show too because well one match in particular um, that would be the, the the tag team matchup between Shane Taylor Productions, O'Shea Edwards, and Shane Taylor. 
and uh, the Hitmakers, uh, Tahuti Miles, the former Ashanti the Adonis, and AJ Francis, aka Frank, uh, the former uh, Top Dollar. Uh, the so Miles and Frank were previously signed to WWE, previously wrestled, uh, pretty featured heavily in, in NXT before being called up to SmackDown and, and being very quickly released after being called up to SmackDown along with um, uh, Swerve Strickland. So, you know, they were kind of synonymous with WWE, even though they were something different even within WWE with their group that they whenever they were paired up with Strickland as uh, Hit Row. Um, it was one of the more, like... It was honestly like one of the few times that you see WWE where it feels like they have their finger on the cultural pulse, in a way. Like, to have a group that was so unapologetically black and steeped in hip-hop and to the point that their entire presentation was completely different from anything else on the mm-hmm. show. Um, and then they get released pretty quickly after being called up to the main roster. Um, so they're coming from that world. Meanwhile, you have O'Shea and Shane previously wrestled in Ring of Honor, ma- like major names on the indies. Um, especially uh, in the Mid Atlantic, up to the up to the Northeast and, and down into uh, down, I would say down into Atlanta as well. Obviously for O'Shea, uh, yeah. Um, of course, Shane also has a big name in Texas as well. So, but but these two dudes were like indie veterans who like scratched and clawed for everything that they got and built themselves into one of the more prominent. Uh, fixtures in Ring of Honor before that company uh, basically like shut down and is now being reimagined after being sold to Tony Khan. And so, whenever this match was made between those two, it really was like these two dynamics of like pathways in pro wrestling and ideas of pro wrestling and how these two sort of like cultures clashed with one another. Mm. And it also helped that they just trash talk the shit out of one another <laughs> heading into this thing too. Um, so like in that way, it really felt like two almost like two different, but not really different worlds of pro wrestling meeting in, in the ring together. And you, I mean, honestly the results say for themselves, like that match was one of the best matches on this card. Um, and I think that anybody that doubted, Frank and Tahuti uh, coming into the independence off of being, you know, on WWE TV and and all of the bells and whistles that come with that, really showed that they, like, they are pro wrestlers. They can they can do this. Not that anybody really doubted that they could, but it was just they could hang in this environment as opposed to the glitz of WWE. I see. Yeah, which you know. Honestly, even a number of WWE people have spent time on the indies, so it, like it is still kind of a a creature of um like storytelling in a way, you know, mm-hmm. all in the art of building up a match and that sort of thing. But it still felt very very real, um, and there was some realness <laughs> to it, um, in, in that match. And I, it, the match itself was was really really fun. Hard hitting stuff. I feel like all four dudes, inc- and also uh, have to remember uh, B Fab and Rev on the outside too. Like the all both factions 
like had really great showings in that match. And I think it was very fitting that it ended with a, a sign of uh, like unification between all six of them raising the fist at the end mm. as well. So it really showed that there, like, while a lot of people think that there are these like divides between WWE and like the rest of pro wrestling, you know, like there still are some clear, some clear connections and clear bridges. And as much as WWE wants to separate themselves from being called pro wrestling or being a part of the larger pro wrestling world at times, you can't divest yourself completely from what brought you to the dance you know and you mentioning this too like i feel like that was kind of represented also in trisha dora with mj jenkins because you said that mj was also in wwe previously right yes she was in nxt for a little while but uh was released around like two years ago and she hasn't really been in the ring a lot since then Mm. You know, it's been few and far between uh, for whatever reason. I, I don't know. You know, obviously that's right. a personal decision for her. I don't know for sure, but I can tell I you mean, one thing. <laughs> Sorry. Either way, it's their loss because she was amazing in that match. Like, oh, yeah. I obviously hadn't heard of her, but she just really drew me in. I loved her. I won't say I hated her. I will say I disliked her. But I also really, really loved her, and I was definitely scared that she was going to take the uh, championship belt yes. a little bit there. Yes. MJ had a great match with Trish. Uh, those two worked really well together. I liked MJ leaning into the, the heelist nature, and also you know, leaning into the the disparity in styles between her and Trish as well. You know, MJ being more of a power and striker um, style of wrestler and Trish, you know, just being a really sound technical wrestler until she wants to hit you with Larry Tubman and then you just lights <laughs> out. Um, no, like, I was really, really uh, impressed by this match because, like, MJ is someone that, you know, I want to see more of. And I have felt a bit of a bummer not seeing her in, in as many places since then. But, you know, if she needed something to prove to herself, and this is all speculation. I have no idea. I'm sure MJ is pretty confident in herself. But if she needed something to show her that, that she still had what it takes to go, like, this was the match to do it. Because like, just go back and watch this match. On a, like on a loop, if you ever need a confidence boost, MJ, like this was just, <laughs> this was this was really 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 good. Um, everything from the entrance with her singing her own intro. Yes, <laughs> I love that. All the way to to the finish. Um, I hope this is not the last time that these two wrestle because like it was it was really dynamic between them. Yeah, Tasha steals. And Big Swole also stands out in my mind. Not not necessarily for the same reasons, but I've, I've seen Tasha Steels before. Um, it's been a little while, but so it was good to see her again. But I also haven't seen Big Swole yet, but I've heard about her. So mm-hmm. that was just nice to have that sort of as the opening. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Like Swole, I feel like was deserving of a of a spotlight place on this show. Um, just the same for Tasha. I mean, she's the impact knockouts champion for a reason, you know, the first Afro Latina woman to do that 
in that company's history. Um, so it's I don't know. Like the, the match itself was was a lot of it was a lot of fun. I was it was glad I'm glad to see Big Swole getting back out there and and doing her thing. You know, post AEW now. You know, leaving that AEW drama behind and just going out and doing what she needs to do. Obviously, like can you know, I think the things that she voiced in regard to AEW when it comes to um, black talent and talent of color are definitely things that still, you know, need addressing. Um, you know, these are definitely conversations that still need to be taking place and, and things that still need to be constantly reevaluated and that sort of thing. And, you know, companies can, for as, as better as they get, they can always do better, you know. But putting all that to the side, Big Swole is a fucking star. Big Swole deserves... A large stage, the same as Tasha, and I am here to see Big Swole back out on the Indies and to continue to to show why she was signed by AEW in the first place. Yeah, and it is interesting because one of those perspective shifts that I've kind of had actually also involves AEW, where at first I was super stoked um, because they had a lot of queer wrestlers and wrestlers of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that was pretty early on and not that I watch AEW a lot with you. I really don't, but I feel like it's been less and less that they have had, um, people featured. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that kind of sh- like the the shift in me, I guess, is that I'm lumping AEW more so with WWE now <laughs> than I had originally. Yeah when we first started watching it. No, and I, I can understand that as well. Cause I feel like, you know, I've gone through a bit of that thought process myself, not necessarily linking them with WWE because like, you know, everything. that means something different to you than, than me for sure. Cause it, yeah, of, you know, it does. And it's just also how we kind of like segment and separate segment and separate these things in our, in our own like individual brains and that sort of stuff. But like, yeah, like there was, I think whenever AEW initially launched and you saw people, them signing people like Nyla, like Scorpio, like Sunny, you know, um, that you, and them also very being, being very open about, you know, wanting to be a, a, uh, not progressive, that's not the right word for it, but like a more like forward thinking and eye on diversity that sort of thing in terms of a major wrestling company. Like I think that was something that a lot of people were ready to eat up because we hadn't been getting that from the largest company, the main, the only company really um, that operated on a, on a large scale like that for the past like 10, 15 years. So it was very easy to, to grab onto that and celebrate it. But I think, you know, consistently over the past couple of years we've seen that kind of hit some peaks and valleys you know some in some fashion similar to how pro wrestling just hits peaks and valleys at times in terms of presentation featuring people cycling people in and out of top spots and certain mm-hmm. and certain stories and that sort of thing but also just yeah for for a while there there was like a lot of focus on like well why like well what's going on with the women's division what's going on with the black wrestlers that you have on on uh on roster what's going why isn't sunny on tv what what what's going on with with nyla and that sort of stuff you know so like it's 
it's frustrating at times, and I think those frustrations still rear their heads. Um, but they're getting better. I will say that you know Scorpio Sky becoming the first uh, black like individual champion in the company not too long ago was uh, awesome to see and a celebrated thing. They've got a number of other people there that are uh, doing really well. Like Powerhouse Hobbs, or Strickland, you know, is a new signee. Keith Lee is a new signee. They're 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 getting better about kind of getting back to a little bit of that. But also, they're a pro wrestling company run by a billionaire. What are you right? Gonna, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're not I, that that aside. Um, let's get back to to for the culture though, um, because like I that's the one thing I struggle with sometimes talking about pro wrestling is that some it's, it can be very easy to kind of devolve into a conversation about the larger companies, but you know, um, obviously those conversations need to be had, but at the same time, um, there's a lot on this show that, that I want to put a, a keen eye on as well. Um, yeah. And I think the main reason why I was bringing that up was just because I really have enjoyed seeing these people who were coming from larger companies and um I don't know that just kind of like delighted me that I get to have that experience and it has way 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 more meaning to me than it would had it been on um had I been watching one of the larger companies so yeah yeah no I can definitely understand that I I am curious about your thoughts on the scramble Oh, God. Okay. So, first off, the sigh is not because of the scramble match. I enjoyed the scramble match. I like scramble matches. They are fun 12 minutes of chaos matches that are great at showcasing people and getting people on cards and giving them spots to shine. Usually, they're people that we're going to see in, you know, other matches down the line. Um and this was uh, another one of those cases. You know, you had people like Keita in there who obviously wrestled Billy at the Big Gay Brunch the next day. Um, and Keita, who's been killing it on the West Coast, mm-hmm. let's be real, um, he's been outstanding. People like Judiz, another West Coast dude who's been just outstanding over the past year, um, really starting to make a name for himself in, in a few different companies. Um, Trey Shaw getting a shot, Nightmare Factory, uh uh, trainee getting a shot there. Uh, awesome to see. I haven't really seen much of him, so this is really my first taste of him. And you know, I think there's there's some promise there. Obviously, keep getting reps, but you know, like he, I think he looked good while he was there. Um, PB Smooth. What else can you say about PB Smooth? Dude is just fucking like it's in his name. You know, <laughs> he's fucking smooth as shit. He's tall as shit. He's strong as shit. And he proved all of that in this match. (laughs) I knew he was tall, but for some reason, only until this match, there was just a certain camera angle where he was just like towering over everybody else. And it actually clicked that he is fucking, what, 6'7"? Yeah, I think that's 6'7". Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Also, shout out to Mother Faye Jackson uh, for coming out with him. Um and, a, and a, also a, a good Alexis uh, <laughs> Alexis Lofa sighting they are putting the chapstick on. Um, and then, 
God, why am I blanking on who else was in this match? Michael Oku, of course, coming over from uh, from England, uh, for, not just for mm, this match, right. but uh, but you know, coming off of the uh, his five star match with with Will Osprey over there, um, just a great, amazing uh, cruiserweight in in uh, the UK scene right now. Um, one of the standouts on the Rev Pro roster. Awesome to see him show up as like a surprise entrant on this match, which is, uh, which is fun. Uh, and then Andino. <laughs> Andino, I'm, I'm very glad that he got on this spot as well. I feel like that's a, that's a dude that um, is a little somewhat underrated, I think by the, the larger pro wrestling audience. And um, I want to see more of him just because, Dude has a, a personality for days. <laughs> um, is really really interesting, uh, and oh god! And there's one person. There's always one person in these scrambles that just like leaves the brain whenever you're trying to remember all the names. I have I say that as I have the list of Carly Bravo. How could I forget Carly Bravo? <laughs> My God, uh, another AEW wrestler um, who has been doing really well for himself as well. You know, teams with Sean Dean there in AEW. Um, and had a lot of, honestly, had a lot of fun matches like that were majority, like he was in a lot of scrambles on WrestleMania weekend. Oh, maybe not a lot, at least two. There were two scramble matches that I saw him in and both of those, he uh, took opportunities to, to really uh, stand out from the crowd there. Um, mm. I believe his uh, bad news and tattoos uh, nickname uh, lived up to uh, he lived up to that <laughs> I would say but no I really enjoyed the scramble I, I feel like you know everybody got a spot to really show themselves you know like people like Kita, PB Smooth, Michael Oku um, even uh, Judez um, to an extent uh all of them, I feel like, have already like proven whether it be in other facets of GCW or in other places on the independents right now. They've definitely proven that they are worthy of like a singles match or a tag match on a show like this for sure. But you know, spots on a card are finite, and I think that having them in this match was just, I don't know, it was a lot of fun to see it. It was I'm, I'm glad that they were on this show because they deserved to be on this show. And, you know, I know some people can sometimes kind of scoff at a scramble match here and there, but, you know, they're there to serve their unique purpose. And I feel like this one did that. Yeah, also, definitely. Oh, sorry. And throw Kali Bravo in with that crew also, obviously. I was just going to say definitely chaos um but i like i haven't seen pp smooth in quite a bit so yeah but we haven't seen him since paris is bumping yeah yeah because he was in the <laughs> he was in the boxes of briefs match yes yeah <laughs> or mb young ripped his pants off <laughs> i love pro wrestling um, yeah, so I don't know. Scramble match was, was fun. It was cert- it did exactly what it needed to do. And honestly, I felt like it set up Keita for his match with Billy pretty well 
adding into the ne- the next day it became brunch. Oh, and to the same ex- to the same extent, um, we can talk about the the four way that was the this the second to last match with Mysterious Q, Brian Keith, uh, Zenshi, and JTG. They Jay the God. Um, I think that this match, you know, this was another one that I wasn't really advertised heading into it, but mm-hmm. you had a lot of like really hot names right now in the independent scene um that were here of course people i don't recognize but <laughs> it's okay <laughs> so yeah jtg who's been doing well for himself like he's been working nwa stuff as well as you know just and all over the place um you know just kind of revitalizing himself over the past two years which is amazing to see also shout out winner of the first ever uh Gray sweatpants battle royal JTG, um, and then you had people like Zenshi, who is you know in Major League Wrestling and MLW has been uh, performing really well down there, um, and then Mysterious Q and Brian Keith, two of the hottest, if not the hottest names in Texas independent pro wrestling right now. Like those two are like the rivalry in Texas independent pro wrestling right now, and both are starting to really explode beyond Texas. I think. Brian Keith has been all over the place over the last like year, year and a half. Mysterious Q, a little bit less, but still um, making a name for himself um, throughout that same time period too. Like it is a Brian Keith versus uh, Mysterious Q is a main event in any independent promotion. Honestly, in my opinion, it could be a main event on this show on on a DCW for the Culture show. Um, in my mind. Mm-hmm. So you have all four of those guys in a match. Four guys who already have large profiles. Um, and you throw them together, you know, it can... I don't know. It, it was a, it was really good. Like, I thought that it was uh, interesting to see some of the interactions there. You, you got tastes of Brian Keith and Mysterious Q's uh, rivalry in the midst of it. But you also got a little bit of taste of the, the few times that they have teamed together. Because they have tag teamed together as well. So, and which obviously fit, fit into the finish here where like they basically hit a tag team finisher and Q gets the win because Keith isn't able to to stop him from getting the pinfall. So like to me like this really was, you know, f- a feature for Q and Keith in a way to have them continue their their uh issue uh up until the inevitable time that they face each other again, more than likely in new Texas pro wrestling. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me in that match, of course, because with not necessarily being familiar with some of the um, wrestlers in this match, but just when one dude took another dude and spun him over his head for extended amount of time (laughs) (laughs) leading up to a pin i don't know that was just a great moment for me yes mysterious q is a strong strong man (laughs) yes oh my god jesus christ (laughs) also mysterious q one of the final three entrants in the gray sweatpants battle royal last year Oh, yes. okay, so I have. Yes, yeah, you definitely see Mysterious Q. That was the one time that he, like, I just, okay, quick diatribe from last year. We already talked about this match so many times, but um, I love the fact that Faye made him take off his mask to enter that match. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I also love the fact that he put the mask back on and has not taken it off since. I think that shows respect to fucking Faye Jackson uh, and to uh, the undistilled uh, sexual energy that went into that fucking match. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's only two more matches left that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, then I want to say Billy and, and Hoodfoot for last because, you know, obviously main event. Uh, there's and that's a, the one that I have a lot of comments on. Yeah, there are a lot. There's a lot to talk about there, but we can't get there without talking about AJ Gray and Dan- Darius Lockhart. Um, obviously, AJ Gray, the the brains behind for, for the, the culture, culture. Uh, and <laughs> Darius Lockhart, uh, the revolutionary. Um, the I, This was... Okay, this match was everything that I that I wanted it to be, really, because the clash of personalities alone is enough. You know, Darius like have has this very like calm demeanor to him. He's a very good like technical wrestler, um, with like some some good striking in there as well. And he's just all about like, you know, power to the people and, you know, really promoting the idea of like, you know, pushing change and that sort of thing. Uh, and then, of course, AJ Gray is just out here trying to lariat people's <laughs> fucking necks into oblivion. Um, and this even like boiled down to like the contrast and entrance music between the two. Like you have this like slow jam, like R and B style entrance for Darius, and then fucking Waka Flocka cuts on. <laughs> it's just fucking <laughs> yes. And honestly, the match kind of was that. It was the uh, cl- this clash of styles between these two, this clash of personalities, even down to AJ Gray making fun of Darius Lockhart as he was laying on the ground, like, in pain. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, AJ gets the win by kind of showing a little bit more of a Darius style towards the end as opposed to what AJ Gray is known for. Not to take anything away from AJ Gray, like, he can, he's definitely a... A technical wrestler but i think he is most well known for strikes and power you know and especially the lariats so i feel like kind of leaning a little bit more into that and surprising darius in that way and getting the pinfall that way was a lot of was, was interesting way to go about that um and i don't know i the match worked for me it was it was really good especially coming off of uh ha's match with john moxley the night previous you know, which was great and fun, but I think left people wanting a little bit more, or at least left me wanting a little bit more personally. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, this this match did it for me. It was great. I don't know if you had any any thoughts. I don't have anything super strong. Um, Darius Lockhart's also a wrestler that I've, I've appreciated watching, um, just over the last two years or so. Yeah. Um, which the majority of that period, he was actually injured. Oh really? Yeah, he was out for almost a year. Um, oh wow! Yeah, because like he he wrestled, uh, he was in the championship match for the first ever Pan African World Diaspora World Championship back at Fight Clubs, uh, show in February of 2020. It was him, Trish, and Mr. Grimm in the final for that for that title, and he lost that match. Trish became champion, and then. You know, it wasn't that long after that he got hurt and was out for a long time. And I think one of his first show, I think his first show back was, uh, was a for the culture show, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember which one it was, 
but um, but yeah, he he was out for a while there, but he's been ever since coming back, he's been just all over the place and 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 you know really solidifying his place in the independent wrestling scene Mm-mm. and spreading his message as well. I was just wondering what you meant by spreading his message. I mean the idea of like being a revolutionary, like oh, that sort yes, of thing, yes, like yes. you know his his you know his message of unity and and you know diversity racial diversity um identity diversity that sort of stuff you know like you know i will say this like darius and it's funnily enough the two darius is darius lockhart and darius carter pro were like two of the first people that i saw outside of the queer wrestling bubble that were like supporting the qwi and supporting a lot of uh, the work that that I've done with uh, queer wrestling, you know, it, it, granted, it's just like you know through Twitter or whatever, but still, <laughs> like it's you know it's it's awesome to see that sort of stuff and and, and really like puts a, a authenticity to Darius's message, which obviously has been there for a long time. It's not just because he retweeted LGBT in the ring or something like that that I think that like I think he does that every time he goes out there, mm. um, and it's it continually uh, is a message that is not necessarily always present in pro wrestling. And I'm glad that, you know, it not only is a part of his character, but it's a part of him as a person. And, and it's one that I'm glad to see continue to, to be featured on these shows. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service Uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Billy Dixon and Hoofoot. The death match. Okay. I have a, I have stuff to say, but I want to hear your thoughts first um, on anything regarding this match, whether it be like 
you know, the the hype into it, the build up, the fucking violence on display. Like, I'm curious to to hear your thoughts because we haven't really talked about this match since we watched it. Honestly, no, I have been saving anything that I had to say about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said before, um, I don't necessarily think of myself as a deathmatch tech person. Not for any particular reason. Um, cause like, I don't like blood. I don't care about necessarily. Um, that's fine. But the thing that kept making me cringe throughout this match was just, God, Hoodfoot's head just looked like it was just ripped open. It's not the blood. It's like the skin all cut up and everything. I guess the gore that yeah to me was making me cringe and was, it was hard to watch. But I couldn't look away. But I won't describe it like a bad car wreck, because that's not what it was. No. Because you don't want to look at a car wreck, but I wanted to look at this. So yeah, I, I, I really liked um, how they played off of each other in the ring. Um, you probably saw way more of the lead up than I did um, to this, but I don't think that I necessarily needed to see all that lead up to be able to get just how much both of them wanted to win this yeah i mean in terms of the build-up let's talk about that for a second because like yes if you didn't see any of like the the build-up online or anything like that and you just watch the match like the message is still there like these are two dudes that not only want to win a match i would say even maybe more so than win a match just beat the shit out of the other person yeah (laughs) um for like regardless of, of anything um like that definitely comes across in the match itself, but if you were paying attention to to the lead up, I think that this was oh also separate from the from the build up there. You also understand like the historic nature of this match as well, being the first death match the with all black participants, mm-hmm. um, which you know speaks to a short history comparatively to the wider pro history history of pro wrestling right but still speaks to a a growing subculture within pro wrestling one that has a very very fervent fan base and one that has been predominantly white in north america or the u.s specifically right for the majority of that time span i would say outside of like somebody like new jack um you don't really have this long history of black deathmatch wrestlers in in the the lineage of deathmatch wrestling. Um, obviously, like you go outside of the U.S., like the, you know there is like a, a growing uh, presence of deathmatch in Mexico. Um, there, um, there, Japan has always been on the cutting edge of of deathmatch stuff as well. So it's not that there hasn't been like people of color. In this world, it's more so in the U.S. specifically, where I feel like deathmatch, maybe alongside Japan, has a has the largest um, fan base to it, mm. where you have not seen black representation to any significant level within it over the last twenty years. Beyond that, mm-hmm. you know, so. To have this match 
and to recognize the history of it. I think that that is enough to get to, to get you sucked in. I think, you know, to to this match. Now going to the the Twitter shit <laughs> that was going down. You know Billy. Billy's not afraid to fucking raise some hell on Twitter, and he definitely did that. And leading into this match, it was just barbs being traded between him, Hoodfoot, and Hoodfoot's uh, partner, Smiley. Uh, which, you know, Smiley featured briefly in this match, too, with her and, and Billy getting into it at ringside early on. So, like, there was definitely, like, a clashing there because, like, Hoodfoot has just been kind of dipping his... his not dipping his toe. He's he's jumped headlong in Deathmatch, but he's only... He's less than a year into the Deathmatch world. Mm-hmm. And, 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 um, and he is quickly making a name for himself there. And, of course, Billy, you know, I think... He, I would not have thought he would be in a death match just generally. Billy has gotten this itch in him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything. Oh no, I'm right there with you. It's not a bad thing at all. Like I think that whenever as for anybody that gets into pro wrestling wants to explore many different facets of pro wrestling throughout their career. Even if it is a one-time thing, which, you know, obviously for Billy, this is not a one-time thing. He's done multiples of these and multiple different styles of these since, you know, really, I I don't 100% know for sure, but I want to say that this really kind of dates back to the match last year in Tampa with AJ Gray, the pup collar match, mm. where, you know, this was, for me, that was the first time that I had seen him in like a... a, a sort of deathmatch setting. You know, I remember AJ Gray a few months after that match asked on Twitter, like, had there ever been an all black deathmatch? And I remember like replying to him, bringing up the pup collar match mm-hmm. because like, you know, in granted, it's a, it, it is a pup collar match, you know, it is a dog collar match for like the, the larger wrestling terminology. So it's technically not a deathmatch. I see. But, it's very much a death match. It's very much has death match elements to it, hardcore match elements to it. So like, but even seeing Billy in that setting with AJ and holding his own there, like I could tell that like, that was something that was like scratching an itch inside of Billy. And then to go see him do a uh, no ring death matches with Casanova Valentine and Ashton star and on this same weekend, he did a no ring death match with no peace in like a 14 person gauntlet match. Um, like this is not definitely not a one-time thing for Billy uh, as evidence. And I, I think that this is a world that he is really kind of enjoying exploring hmm. um, from what I can tell, at least from like watching the matches itself. Cause like, the shit he puts himself through yeah. in these matches, you know, it's very much, I, you know, it's light tubes to the head. <laughs> yeah. Light tubes to the head, the gusset plates, the, the barbed wire, the fucking, uh, God, so much, the glass, the everything, the thumbtacks, the, uh, and wearing a white shirt to just oh. highlight all of that blood. Oh yeah, no that that's that's like the pro, the rule number one for any pro wrestler going into a match like this. You wear white. I haven't seen that in any of the death matches we've watched. That's the thing. It's like I feel like in I feel like a lot of death match wrestling doesn't necessarily subscribe to that because like one that's just a style of match that 
that's like an entire card is going to be like that on most deathmatch shows, most shows that feature deathmatch style. Hmm. So like, it's very much, you know, I think, I don't necessarily think that it's one of those things where like, they're not actually thinking about it, but it's more so that like, you know, they're in a deathmatch promotion. It's more so about like, you know, wearing what you wear as opposed to wearing that. Like, cause like, it's one of those things where like deathmatch wrestlers, usually they're wearing like a shirt pants or shirt tights or something like that. You know, very rarely do the wrestle without a shirt. And usually it's black stuff because like, there's a lot of like ties with between like deathmatch and, and metal and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's like very much like that sort of setting, which also kind of speaks to this, um, predominantly white male, uh, facet of pro wrestling, not necessarily like saying that that's bad per se, but, it speaks to the homogenization, homogenization. <laughs> there we go. Of it, you know, like it's very much is. It's very easily sometimes for for certain deathmatch wrestlers to kind of blend into one another, in a way. If you're not like watching every like ICW show or every Circle Six show or every GCW show. So they would blend in for me usually. Yes, they would blend in for you. <laughs> However, actually, the deathmatch is that. I've seen it's all like been within the last two months. I feel like because they've yeah, been at much. local shows. Yeah, we like we saw Drexel and Taya at the Prestige show last year or last month, and uh, Drexel and Vincent at the DOA show. A lot of Drexel, a lot of yes, Drexel lot getting of Drexel. skewers in his head. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of what I have to compare it to because Drexel does not wear a shirt. Yes. And I also, that is a statement piece about Hoodfoot in this match, too, because Hoodfoot went out there in his fucking tights. He yeah. didn't go out there in, like, any no kind of protective garb or anything like that. He was out there just to be like, fuck me up. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> and, and that's, that's they the did. end of the fucking day. <laughs> God, because I just remember, I think it was Hoodfoot that, like, broke one of the light tubes in half and then was, like, trying to stick it into Billy's and his own forehead. Yes. Yeah, he was like he's like doing the gouging it into Billy's forehead, and then Billy returned favor and started breaking light tubes over his own head. That's right, and stuff yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. Billy was relishing this. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I don't know. Like this whole match, just there was a lot of emotion injected into it, um, especially from the way that they just interacted with one another. I really, I think this match really spoke to the storytelling ability of deathmatch wrestling, which is another thing that I think gets unduly put on deathmatch as a whole. Is mm-hmm. that a lot of critics of it basically look at it as dudes that can't wrestle normally, like that can't wrestle in like a standard match, go to deathmatch because all you have to do is like beat each other with weapons <laughs> and get blood and then. And then do a move and pinfall, which one, if that's your belief, you don't watch Deathmatch because Deathmatch wrestling has a, a completely unique, uh, I feel, uh, ability to tell stories in pro wrestling. Um, also, I, I love this point. I can't remember who who said this on Twitter. It might have been it might have been Max, you know, former. Um, the former promoter for Without a Cause up in Everett. But someone on Twitter said, um, 
deathmatch wrestlers are more talented than technical wrestlers because in deathmatch you do technical wrestling as well as deal with like as well as use weapons and stuff like that. Right. Meanwhile, technical wrestlers, all you're doing is technical wrestling and you're not getting like worried about fucking light tubes and shit. So, and and that is a very like poor paraphrasing of the point that, that they made. Um, but it's true. It's true. Like you have to have a certain personality. You have to have a certain presentation. You have to have a certain, uh, I like idea of yourself and how to, to work these specific style of matches going into it. And I think that's one reason why I've really enjoyed watching Hoodfoot and Billy get this spot is because these are two dudes who are still exploring deathmatch and still exploring their limits within deathmatch. Mm-hmm. And to have them be the first two to make this, to have this historic moment with one another, um, I think speaks to the ability for anybody, uh, whether you know, anybody from any underrepresented community that isn't represented that well in deathmatch right now, that they have a place that they have a way that they can get into this through these, through watching these, these two guys and also understand that, you know, this whole, any, any endeavor in pro wrestling is about learning and continuing to grow and continue to understand and explore the medium that you're in. Uh, and deathmatch is no no different, and to see these two that are still really kind of making their name in the deathmatch scene do it, I feel like can be an inspiration to anybody else who feels like they might be afraid to do it just because they don't want to. Uh, there might be some like trepidation about getting into deathmatch or um, this feeling of. Uh, feelings of like being inept or imposter syndrome, that sort of thing as well. Like it really just speaks to like anybody can be in deathmatch, Right. Yeah. Sorry. I went off on a long thing. there. That's okay. <laughs> Did you Here have- I am, but just like gore gross. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just here like fucking like writing a fucking sonnet about <laughs> shit. There's a lot of beauty in deathmatch. There really is, and I realize the 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 like oxymoronic nature of that statement. But there, there really, there's a reason why whenever I write about deathmatch stuff, I I make a note to always try and include the word beauty or beautiful <laughs> when describing something like that because there really is a beauty in mixed in amidst the carnage that we see. I mean, I'm just cringing, but that's just me. Yo, it doesn't mean you don't cringe. <laughs> I cringed at some shit in this match. Whenever he, whenever Hoodfoot put the two light tubes over Billy's, like, crossed them over Billy's neck. Oh, yeah. And then stomped them. <laughs> like, that was like a motherfucker. I know, I know how, I, I watch, I see how they're doing it to, like, protect and that sort of thing. But even then, I'm like, motherfucker, this glass on a yes. neck. Yeah. <laughs> Just, fuck. But no, and, and honestly, like, the moment of the match for me is, like, Hoodfoot hitting Billy with that pump handle slam through the door and Billy kicking out at one, sitting up, 
and just fucking screaming yes. in his but they, like I wrote this on Twitter like, there's a re- I saw that that was immediately like, all right that's the image for the top 25 yes <laughs> like there's nothing's going to beat that there's the emotion in that the rawness of that the, the, what that moment meant in the context of that match like it was just so fucking good my god um just all around outstanding top notch stuff once again, Billy Dixon goes out there with some light tubes and a and a and fucking steals a fucking weekend again. Honestly, <laughs> um, and that's and that is no disservice to Hoodfoot either. Hoodfoot was amazing in this match. Um, Hoodfoot like was so so damn good. Both of these guys were great. I absolutely adored this match. Yeah, I I really liked how they played off each other, and it was the same with Trisha Dora and MJ. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I really liked how they worked together, too. Like, those two matches are the ones that really stand out in my mind that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I would throw Hitmakers and Shane Taylor Promotions uh, on there, and that's, like, the, my trio mm. coming out of this, out of the show. Like, those are the three that really, um, that really got me. Um, but, yeah, like... Shout out Billy Dixon. Shout out Euphoria, Purple Rain, Billy Dixon. Yeah. Uh, yes, that was a great. What a talk about a contrast in entrances. I was, I was wondering who was coming out because <laughs> I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're used to the KRS one hitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I honestly like the same way we talked about with AJ Gray, and th- and this will be the last thing I think. Well, same way we talked about with AJ Gray and, and Darius Lockhart, just the contrast of the entrances in this match as well. Yeah. Billy with the Purple Rain, the tribute to his mother um, mm. there with the Euphoria makeup, the Mick Foley flannel tied around, his um, his uh, new overalls uh, <laughs> that are just a little bit different <laughs> from, from past iterations. Um, and... You know, you have that very, like, angelic, sort of, like, calm, yet somewhat foreboding sort of thing, knowing what's coming, because we've seen them bring all of the <laughs> fucking plunder and put all of the light tubes on the ropes and shit. Like, you, like, it's like, this is the final moment of calm before everything just fucking breaks down, and then... As soon as, like, Hoodfoot's music hit, like, okay, now you know what we're getting into. Like, Billy has, like, <laughs> Billy is, like, cold and collected, and then Hoodfoot comes out and is, is ready for a fucking fight. <laughs> and and then, like, it just all blossoms. It just all blossoms. It was so good. All right. The whole show. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of my final thought. I think the whole whole show to me was really good. It was really well paced. And um, I liked uh, the order of the matches. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, I I say this, this is this, as I'm saying it, it sounds really basic. But just again, as a person who is not, you know, deep in the world of pro wrestling, like, especially when I'm watching matches at or watching shows at home, it can sometimes be hard for me to get into it and engage like I would at in-person shows, but I didn't necessarily have that issue with this edition of for, for the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just really appreciated that. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. It, it held your attention. Like it was very engrossing all the way through. Honestly, um, I guess my final thought, like I I can't know if there's anything else I can really say about any of the matches that I haven't already said on this show. Like I I feel like. I let all my feelings. I I feel like a physical catharsis. <laughs> finally, talking about some of these matches, especially Billy and Hoodfoot, I've been holding that in too. Um, but I guess my final thought: I'm just gonna give a shout out to Shug D and AC Mac on the commentary th- throughout mm, this whole show. Yeah, with special guests Robert Martyr, Isaiah, um, uh, Mike Outlaw, and um, Faye Jackson as well. You know, popping in for for matches here and there. Give me more. I did, look. I want Shug D and AC Mac commentating like way more than than just for the culture, please. <laughs> it was just, it was just such a refresh. It's always refreshing to whenever you have for the culture um, the commentary teams put together. It just, it's just, it just hits different. It hits different, but and again, sorry to go back to bigger companies, but when I'm. Actually, no, not even with bigger companies. There have been some independent shows that you've showed me where I am just cringing at what the commentary is, mm-hmm. what, what the commentators are saying. Yeah, um, I'm having trouble bringing up names of specific people or or shows, but it's it's definitely been <sighs> dominant culture shows. Yes, even though they are independent. Yes. I guess that's probably the best way to explain it. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't get that um, when I have watched like any of the for the culture shows. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess thank you, Casey, for for coming on the show and and chatting with me a bit about for the culture here. I feel like I always make the same joke like about plugging stuff at the end of the show with you, but so I won't do that this time. No, uh, we didn't last time. Yeah, it's all right. Well, <laughs> last time. <laughs> yes. You can find me on Roll20 where I host the Dungeons and Dragons game because I am a nerd. <laughs> but I won't tell you where you can actually find me on Roll20 because I don't know how to describe that actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I just I'll- send people a link. Yeah. <laughs> Catch me on Roll20 playing in the game that you run. Um, yeah. Now, this has been great. Thank you again, Casey. Well, thank you for having me. My thanks once again to Casey for taking the time to come on the show and chat about For the Culture with me. Always uh, fun to sit down and and share some of our conversations because I around pro wrestling. They are really engrossing for me and I like sharing those with y'all as well also who wouldn't want to talk about Billy Dixon and Hoodfoot just gashing each other (laughs) no that match was so much more than just that just like a lot of things on this card and um yeah for the culture hopefully continues to be a mainstay of Wrestlemania week going forward and we will be here to talk about it for as long as it is around so that's going to do it for us this week. That's going to do it for WrestleMania week. Next week, we are back to our regular programming. We're going to have interviews and all the fun stuff. we got a couple months here leading up till Pride and Vibe weekend, which, by the way, we have been announced. We are uh, sponsoring that show, uh, and myself and KC are going to be there in June, and uh, I cannot wait, cannot wait to see that event and, and to see all of y'all there as we celebrate 
an entire weekend of outstanding queer pro wrestling. Uh, it's just... I love where we're at now, and I love where we're going. And it's just, it's a beautiful journey that I am glad to continue to have alongside all of you, listeners or otherwise. <laughs> but we'll see all of you back here next Thursday, uh, in just a few days actually now. Uh, we'll see you back here then as we get back on to the regular LGBT in the ring schedule and all that good stuff. But until then, y'all stay messy, wash your hands. Wear your mask, get vaccinated and boosted, if at all possible, and a very, very, very happy belated birthday to one Mr. Jared Evans. Bye!